This is the uh, second week in a series of messages uh, on the death and resurrection of Christ that we're calling Resurrection Response and asking that question, what, are you gonna, uh, what do you believe and what are you going to do with Jesus is the ultimate issue. And so the challenge for us as we move through uh, this season, approaching Good Friday and then the Easter event with the resurrection of Christ and celebrating that, uh, what will I believe? What will I believe about this Jesus? Uh, a lot of this is based on, uh, inspired by uh, the movie Risen, where the uh, Roman Tribune uh, is really, I think, seeking and searching about the meaning of life and purpose of it and wondering if the resurrection of Christ is true and what it would be to be a follow-up uh, of Jesus Christ. And that's the backdrop behind it. We'll have a, a video clip. I, I still encourage you to see the movie if you haven't done so. I think it's worth your time. Taken from a different perspective of the Roman, uh, Roman Tribune as, uh, as he, you can see him struggle. You can see his faith struggle about that with the resurrection of Christ and what it might mean. So last week we began uh, the series talking about the cross and the passion uh, of God shown on that cross. As he sent Christ to die for us, uh, that's the passion of his love for us. Uh, and then we're to respond to that. What are we going to do? Well, we're, we're to respond to his love and grace and mercy and power, all with a new perspective as we live for the kingdom of God and for his glory. Now, today we're going to talk about the challenge of the cross and what that would mean for us. When we look at the life of Jesus, we, we can readily see, and, and those of us who've been believers for a while, we know this, that, that Jesus knew that the cross was his destiny all of his life. He knew that just as surely as he knew he was the son of God and that he was the Messiah. And it was the disciples of Jesus who finally realized that once they believed in the risen Jesus Christ that the cross was their destiny as well. And they accepted the challenge of the cross. In doing that, they knew that the cross did not mean a safe, comfortable, convenient lifestyle for them. But it was a great challenge for them to live boldly for the kingdom of God. Well, the same is true for us today. See, we're not called to follow after Christ just to be saved and safe. But we are called to be bold and even to be daring in our faith in this resurrected Jesus Christ. Today for our scripture and the basis of the message, we're going to go back and look at two passages of scripture in Matthew where Jesus talked to his disciples specifically about his impending death by crucifixion. You see, Jesus could do that along the way in ministering because Jesus knew exactly when and how he would die. He knew that he would be nailed to a cross during Passover and that he would give his life as a ransom for many. Now look with me in Matthew chapter 26. We'll look at verses 1 through 2. And then we'll go over to verse 31 and read through 35. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away. And the Son of Man will be handed over 
to be crucified. And that's just one of the many places where he tells them very clearly that he's going to be crucified. So then we go to verse 31. And in between, what's happened is that Mary came and had that Jesus was um, anointed in that beautiful setting. Then Judas left to betray Jesus. And then they celebrated the Lord's Supper. And then here comes uh, what Jesus says to them about their denial. So Jesus told them this very night, you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, see there he is, he talks about it again. He promises them that, he tells them that. After I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. And listen to what Jesus said to him. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. This very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Now, that's not the only place. I've already mentioned that where Jesus talked about his impending death. And at the same time also reminded the disciples that he would rise again on the third day. There are many different places. Let me just give you a couple of three others. Matthew 16, 21. Uh, the scripture says from that time on Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And that he must be killed. And it doesn't end there because it goes on to say, and on the third day be raised to life. Then in Matthew 17, when they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him and on the third day be raised to life. Then in Matthew 20, Jesus said, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priest and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. You see, Jesus told his disciples clearly over and over and over again. He knew his life's mission, that he came to give his life as the perfect sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. But that wasn't the end of his journey. That wasn't the end of his mission. That wasn't the end of his life because he says, on the third day, I will rise again. He told them that repeatedly. But yet they had a struggle with that. Until they really encountered him in, in, in form as he came into their midst. So I think we could easily say that, that Jesus knew, that Jesus knew that this, this was his mission, this was his calling, this is why he came to earth. And literally you could say the shadow of the cross was over his life, his entire life. We got a picture of, a, of a, what I think is a moving uh, painting entitled The Shadow of Death. And that's done by William Holden Hunt. Uh, if you can see close enough, you might want to look it up on your own on the internet. It's at the end of the day in the carpenter shop where Jesus worked. The floor is just covered with wood shavings from where he's been working on the wood and planing it and getting it just right. And he's stretching at the end of the day's work. And, and two, two hours left on the screen, uh, is, my left anyway, is, is, that's Mary. And interestingly enough, the, the, the uh, painter says that she's going through the a chest that has the gift of the Magi in them. And she just happens to look up 
to the right at the right moment, and she sees the shadow that Jesus' body casts. And you can see it on the back wall. And it looks just like how he's going to look when he's crucified. There's a very, very, I think, moving foretelling of the fact that this is the shadow of death in the life of Jesus. And he lived with the shadow of the cross over his life, knowing what his life's mission and purpose was. Now, from the scripture today, in talking about the challenge of the cross, I want us to just consider three, I think, foundational truths about the cross event in the life of Jesus, and then challenge us about the challenge of the cross. So here's the first thing I think we all have to come on agreement to and understand, and that is the cross was always God's plan. The cross was always God's plan. It was not a fatal event, a tragic event, where the crowd and the people got out of control and, and that God didn't have any power over them to stop the death of his son. But this was the plan that God had from the very beginning of the beginning of time. And he knew that just as surely as he sent Jesus into the world to be born as that innocent little baby of Bethlehem. It's always been God's plan. In fact, in Revelation 13, 8, John says that all inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. Now, according to this verse, when does it say Jesus was slain? He was slain from the creation of the world. See, from the beginning of the beginning, God had it planned for Jesus to die on the cross. The word world here uh, doesn't necessarily mean earth, but it's the word cosmos, which means the entire creation. That, That means that Jesus then was predestined by God before the beginning of the beginning of the beginning to come to earth and die. And the coming of Jesus Christ is that central event in our history that divides all time. Every time you write a check, every time you look at a calendar, every time you pull up a date on your phone or whatever, you know that Jesus came and he divided time between B.C., which is before Christ, and A.D., which is Anno Domini, which means in the year of our Lord. And all of it focused on the cross because the cross was in the heart of God from the beginning of the beginning. It was not a plan that got out of hand and control that God could not have stopped. It was his plan. Now here's the second thing, and that is Jesus willingly embraced the cross. He willingly embraced the cross. He lived his entire life with the shadow of the cross over his life. And he knew what crucifixion was, whether he actually witnessed them or not. We know that the Romans used it as a cruel means of of execution. And sometimes they would crucify hundreds of of, uh, rebellious Jews and other thieves. And they would do so along the roadway. Sometimes they would do it on trees. And Jesus surely saw some of those at some point in time in his life. And he knew that that would be his fate. According to God's plan, being handed over. But God knew that when he sent Jesus, he would be obedient. And Jesus embraced the cross. In John 10, Jesus said, The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. 
Now that verse tells us, those two verses tell us about the power of Jesus. He lays down his life. He takes it up again. It tells us that he was faithful and obedient to God's plan and that he embraced the cross. Yeah, he suffered untold agony on the cross, just like anybody else did who was crucified. But he did so willingly because it was God's plan for him, and he knew that. See, all through the years there have been, these 2,000 and so years, there have been many, many martyrs who died for the faith, but most of them did not have any control over the means of their death. Jesus did not lose his life on the cross. He gave it up for our salvation. Jesus wasn't a victim of death. He was a victor over death. He embraced the cross. And the third thing to observe is that the cross, the cross event in total, is the only means of salvation. That's the only means of salvation. On the cross, Jesus was defeating sin as well as satisfying the righteous demands of God for the payment for sin. Jesus would say in John 3, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. Then in John 12, He said, But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, talking about His crucifixion, will draw all men to Myself. And John adds the editorial, He said this to show the kind of death He was going to die. So the cross is the only means of salvation. The Apostle Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 19, 21. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now this is the key verse, verse 21. God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Now see, becoming righteous in the sight of God, that's the hope of every sinner just like you and me. That we can look upon that cross event, see Jesus there as our Savior, we can look and we can live. See, Jesus lived in the shadow of the cross, but here's the reality. So should we. There's only one safe place to find refuge from the judgment of God against sin, and that's in the shadow of the cross. There's no other way to be saved except through the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no other plan of salvation. There's no other plan of a Savior. See, Jesus is the only way to experience God's love and forgiveness. The only name given among men under heaven by which we might be saved. And our entire Christian life, our new life, our identity in a relationship with God is available because Jesus Christ went to the cross in our place and died for our sins. That's the reality. Brought back to life on the third day. Easter Sunday morning was resurrected. So what's our response to this? Well, obviously, if you've not yet come to know Christ as Savior, you've not confessed Him as a forgiver of your sins and allowed Him to be the leader of your life, the Lord of your life, then you need to make that decision. You need to accept this wonderful gift of salvation. It comes only from God. It was done for you only by Jesus Christ. But anybody who prays and says, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I know I'm a sinner. I know I have sins I need to be forgiven of. I ask you to come into my life. I embrace you as my Savior and my Lord, and I ask you to forgive me and to lead my life. 
you haven't made a decision for Christ, you need to do that today. So then the question comes, then what? Well, once you believe in Jesus as the Messiah and the Savior, the issue is, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do with your life as a follower of Jesus Christ, as someone who's made that commitment to be a follower of His? See, for a lot of people, walking the aisle and getting baptized is just something like on their to-do list that they're going to check off. And then they just go about several, they say, I got, that ta- I got that part taken care of my life. And they got their life compartmentalized. And so your, your decision for Christ is over here somewhere. You know, it's taken care of, it's over there, it's cool, you're saved, and you're safe. And you're just going to leave it over there. Then you go on with the rest of your life. Early disciples didn't live that way. See, they saw the cross life as a challenge to live boldly for Jesus and to live it in a lifestyle of passion. They couldn't play it safe. But there are many, many, many believers today, at least who confess to be believers, who choose to play it safe. Chuck Lawless, I got to know when he was a professor at Southern Seminary, and now he's at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. He posted a, a tweet this week and gave some valid reasons as to why so many believers take uh, this safe way in life, which he entitled, Why Jesus Becomes Routine to Us. And some of them, I think these are all very, very, very valid. Uh, I thought it was interesting that when I, I got back, went over to the office in between services, that um, somebody had downloaded and printed the, the, the message that you were reading to me the other day about change it, changing, how we have to change our attitude. I'm not sure who did it. I couldn't read the handwriting, but anyway, I appreciate it, whoever did that. But here, here are some reasons that Chuck Lawless says why Jesus becomes routine to us. He says that the time between our conversion and now uh, gets longer, and we just simply lose our passion. That obviously can be true, can it? Uh, we have no plan to keep the passion alive. And we see both of those things happening in a lot of marriages, don't we? You know, over a period of time, you just lose that passion for the love in your marriage, and you don't have any plan for making it grow. See, and then our sin gets in the way. And then we spend no real time with Christ and prayer and Bible study. And we direct our passion elsewhere. Remember, this country is full of people who are passionate. But most of them just aren't passionate about the kingdom of God. And we take God's blessings for granted. Church becomes more about us than about Him. And that we sometimes have unconfessed anger and disappointment in God. And we ignore more increasingly the local body of church, Christ. That's the local church where we're members. And we have not been challenged to consider if Jesus is routine to us. I'm going to challenge you on that today. If Jesus is just simply routine to you. I want to share with you the insight of another pastor by the name of Scott Dudley. And he said he has observed that safety is our new idol. Safety is our new idol. I made an editorial comment in the 845 sermon. I might as well tell you this day. Maybe that's taking the place of American Idol. I'll be so glad when that show, final season, is over. I just, I will just be glad that it's over, and I'll leave it at that, okay? But this is how Scott Dudley describes us, and, and it's, it's very accurate. Now, not all these things we do are wrong or bad. It's just that we are safety conscious when you listen to this. He says, we are the most seat-belted, bike-helmeted, airbagged, knee-pad-wearing, private-schooled, gluten-freed, hand-sanitized, 
peanut avoiding, sunscreen slathering, hyper-insured, massively medicated, password-protected, valet-parked, security-systemed, inoculated generation in history. And all of it has been done is make everyone more afraid of everything. Now, isn't that true? Now, listen, I'm not telling you if you've got a peanut allergy or your child has a peanut allergy to go eat some peanuts. I'm not telling you that, okay? You've got to be safe about that. If you have a reaction, you're allergic to gluten, you need to live gluten-free. But where was all this stuff 25, 30, 40, 50 years ago? You know, on a bright, sunny day, put sunscreen on when you go out. Even when it's a cloudy day. I always have this argument. I say, it's not the sun's not out and shining. Because you say, oh, that's when the rays are more powerful. You need to put on more sunscreen. See, but look at all these things we do to play it safe. And we do the same thing in our spiritual life. I mean, look at the reality of it. Most Christians don't serve the Lord. Why? Might not be safe. Most Christians don't dream great dreams for the kingdom of God. Why? Might not be safe. Most Christians don't share their faith or take a stand in this world. Why? Might not be safe or it might not be popular at school, at work, or wherever. Most Christians don't tithe or give generously and sacrificially. Why? They say, I can't afford it. That's not it. It's a faith issue because it won't be safe to do that. You have to trust God more. And you've got your world where you want it right here. See, most Christians don't break habits and take risks and build relationships or have uh, dreams and adventures in, the, in their Christian faith. Why? It's all one good reason. It might not be safe. Now, if you're a guest with us today, this is not your church home. I don't want you sitting there saying, boy, I'm glad I'm not a member of this church. And I don't want you to think that these are rotten, lazy, lousy people. They're really good people. Listen, every now and then we need to have our passion stroked a little bit, don't we? And to accept the challenge of the cross. So what happens when we play it safe in our faith? Well, it limits our impact. It shrinks our faith. It stunts our spiritual growth. And playing it safe shrivels our hearts. All of that, all of that limits our influence. And see, if we are people of passion, then we have great influence to be shared. And if you're truly a Christ follower, He's going to talk to you about some things that he wants you to do. He's going to say, I want you to go on this mission trip. And you say, I don't have the time. I can't do that. He's going to say, I want you to start tithing. And you say, God, I can't afford to do that. He's going to say, I want you to talk to this person about me. And you say, Lord, I can't do that. I'm afraid. He says, I want you to ask forgiveness from this person. And you say, I just can't do that, God. He says, I want you to lead a small group Bible study. And you say, Lord, I don't know how to do that. And then he'll say to you something like this. I want you to work with preschoolers. And you say, you have got to be kidding me, right? See, our faith gets tested and stretched only to the limits that we allow it. And God wants our faith to grow. He wants to stretch us. He wants to take us out of our comfort zones out of the safety. Let me tell you this. There are no safety nets under the cross. 
Now, what if the followers of Christ had played it safe after his resurrection? They could have just said, okay, Jesus came in here, and, and now we know he's risen. Let's go hide the rest of our life because he revealed himself to us. We wouldn't be here today, right? This church wouldn't be here. Now, I've already talked about risen, the movie, a little bit. And Clavius, the, the Roman tribune, you know, as he struggles in this faith thing, he's under orders from Pilate to go find the body of Christ. They have to have a body so that they can disprove the resurrection of Jesus. He knows where the disciples are. He burst into the room, and for some reason in the movie, he chooses Bartholomew to take him for questioning. And, I, you know, I've just wondered about that. I've gone and done a little work in the Scriptures I just don't ever remember Bartholomew standing out. Do you, do you ever remember anything really powerful or strong or you know, any great speech or sermon or anything that Bartholomew did? I don't know. I don't know why in the movie. Maybe the movie writers just thought Bartholomew had been neglected. Let's put him in the limelight. But anyway, you know, he brings him in for questioning. We've got a quick video. I hope it works because we had to splice a lot of stuff. It's going to be a little bit dark, but if you've seen the movie, you know that. Okay? Let's show the clip. Why do you fear him, sir? This empire means nothing to him. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. That's what he taught us. What if I ordered your crucifixion? What, what I, I would happily submit. Strike. Now, I hope you heard that. He asked him, what if I ordered your crucifixion? And what did Bartholomew do? He dropped on his knees and saying, I would submit to that. You think, it's, uh, you think that was genuine and honest and real? You think that was a real response? I think so. Back of our minds, when we've read the scripture just a little bit ago, the question might arise, well, what makes his answer any different than Peter's when he said, Lord, I'm willing to die for you if everybody else forsakes you. The difference is that following the resurrection, these early disciples of Christ experienced the Lord Jesus Christ. Their lives were changed. And they were passionate about the kingdom. They didn't play it safe. And according to the legend, every one of them but John died, a light died, the death of a martyr, because they were somewhere proclaiming the kingdom of God. Now, let's fast forward just quickly today. Let me ask you this question, hypothetical, but suppose you found yourself in a situation. I don't think it'll happen here, not now anyway, but where... If you confess that Jesus was Lord of your life, you would die. What would you do? I mean, if you were somewhere that there was a gun put to your head and said, are you a follower of Christ or not? Would you say yes or would you say no? Or we've seen pictures of this with ISIS deep, deep beheading uh, believers in other countries. If there was a sword put to your neck and you were asked the question, are you a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ? Would you answer yes or no? I think most of us in here today would say yes. You know why? Because that's the right answer. And it's safe in here. Nobody's got a gun to our head. There's not a, knife, a, a sword on our neck. And that's a safe thing to say. But let me ask you this. Really think about this. Would you really be that brave? I mean, think about it. You look around the life, uh, life of our church. We've got over 1,600 members. We run about a third of that in attendance. Most people find any kind of reason to skip church. You know, there's nothing magical about it, but this is where you worship. You show your faith at least by showing up. At least you could do is show up. When your life becomes too stressed, I mean, you've overloaded your life, what's the first thing to go? 
You got to get away from it all. So church is the first thing that you cut out, right? At least 50% of you, according to statistics, don't give a dime or a nickel or a penny to support the work of this church. Less than 10% of you tithe. And most of you have an anemic spiritual life at best. There's some great spiritual people here and deep uh, knowledge of the scripture in their life and they apply it and they're prayer warriors and I thank God for them. And let me ask you this. How many of you have never, don't raise your hands, how many of you have never shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody? And you're telling me that, yeah, I'd die for him? You know what I think? You just might be already dead. Those are strong words for you to hear, right? But that's the challenge of the cross. Let me close by giving you three scriptures, I think, that ought to challenge you about this life as a believer. If you're willing to accept the challenge of the cross, listen to this. The words of Jesus in Luke 9. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. That's a wonderful paradox, isn't it? Give up your life, you save it. You keep your life to yourself, you lose it. You've got to take up that cross daily and follow Christ. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul knew what it was to live the cross life and he didn't take the safe way. And Philippians 1.21 says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Once again from the Apostle Paul. So that's the challenge of the cross. There's no safety nets there. There's really no playing it safe in the kingdom of God if we're going to do it right. So as we're challenged here about the resurrection of Christ and how we're going to respond and what are you going to do with Jesus? I want you to accept the challenge of the cross. That you live passionately, not safely, for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that as we approach this Easter season that we have the assurance of the fact that we have a risen Savior in Jesus Christ, that he came to this world obedient to your will, and he came and willingly embraced the cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could be set free from that sin and we can be born again and we can be free of guilt and shame and anything uh, that would separate us from you. And we thank you then, Father, that through the resurrection we know that we serve a living Savior. And I pray that we will have the boldness as these early disciples, that we will not play it safe, but we will be filled with passion for the kingdom of God and for the glory of God. And that will permeate everything we do in our life. And I pray, Father, that decisions for this will be made today in accordance with your will and the moving of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.